So what is ordinary? You know, it's like in hypnosis, we're always using this term, normal states of consciousness. Hypnosis is a deviation from normal consciousness. But what is normal? Normal is is my experience of normal, you know, right. or your experience. That normal thing is very elusive. Mm. And, you know, it's like the Aborigines, they, th they say that the dream state, what we think of as a dream state, is normal. And the rest of it is the abnormal part, the dreams, the not reality. So it's kind of how we interpret things. Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather. And in this episode, I am joined by Drake Eastburn to discuss his book, What is Hypnosis Really? Drake talks about hypnosis in relation to other forms of consciousness, including sleep, dreaming, lucid dreaming, and meditation. He talks about the placebo and nocebo effects and explains the power of tapping into our subconscious mind in order to change our thoughts to create meaningful change in our lives. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Greetings, Rebel Spirits. Before the interview with Drake Eastburn, I wanted to let you know about a couple of upcoming events. First, I will be presenting again during this year's Rebecoming the One Symposium. I was really excited to participate last year where I offered a presentation on witches, science, and the inquisition of nature. This year, my presentation is on the divine masculine and is titled The Call of the Diamond, Tending the Wild Genius. My presentation will go live on June 12th, that's 2023, although the symposium begins on June 1. In conjunction with my presentation, I'll also be offering a paid workshop on Tending the Wild Genius. The workshop is scheduled for 9 a.m. Pacific on Friday, June 16th. For more information on the Rebecoming the One Symposium, go to livingtheonelight.teachable.com. And now, my conversation with Drake Eastburn about hypnosis. Drake Eastburn is a board-certified hypnotherapist and co-founder of the Eastburn Hypnotherapy Center and the Eastburn Institute of Hypnosis. Highly regarded for his work in sports hypnotherapy, he is sought after by professional athletes and parents of school-aged kids alike and is the official hypnotist for the U.S. Olympic cycling team. Drake has more than 40 years of experience in the field of hypnotism and has authored eight books on the subject. He works with a variety of issues in his global private practice, including sports, anxiety, weight mastery, and smoking cessation. Drake, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're joining me today. This is going to be interesting. I'm really kind of curious about hypnosis, and you are the person to speak with, I think, about this. Yeah. I had a guest on a while back who does past life regressions, but we really didn't get into the details of what hypnosis is. Yeah. And that's what I really want to start with, because I think people have maybe a false view of what hypnosis is right and so i thought that that would be the best place to start is asking you drake what is hypnosis yeah well 
you know, that would seem like a simple question for me to answer since I wrote the book on it. And it's a question I get a lot. And I think professionals over the years have tried to label hypnosis as this or that. Our our nature is to want a nice, concise statement to identify something. We want to compartmentalize things and make it easier to understand. But sometimes things don't fit into those nice little neat compartments. And you're right. A lot of a lot of people don't understand hypnosis and things that we don't understand, we tend to fear. When we fear something, we tend to vilify it. Mm. And people, oh, God, you don't want to be hypnotized. They're going to control your mind or right. things like that. But the truth is, hypnosis is with us all the time. Mm. And if people had a better understanding of it, they would not be as concerned about it. And then we could put the effects of hypnosis to work for us. We are anyway. We're using hypnosis. Everybody is using hypnosis. They're talking to their subconscious. They're doing things that are very hypnotic. And a lot of that is not in a very useful way. You know, we're giving ourselves messages all the time. Like if I think, oh, God, I'm fat, miserable, and broke. I'm telling my subconscious that's what's going on. And mm. your subconscious is just going to go, yeah, and you're going to get more of it. You know, yeah. it's like that, even though that's what we don't want. But by stating that, we're anchoring it into our subconscious. And that may have been started with messages we got very early in life. You know, even pre-verbally, you know, we can pick up on things. And then that begins to follow us through life. So hypnosis is about a lot of things it's about the paradigms that we form or, or what in hypnosis we call our critical faculty and these things are usually formed very early in life like by the time we're five years old so messages that we get in those early stages you know you hear psychologists say well our personality is formed by the time we're five years old and that's pretty much right you know because after five years old, we have a more of a critical mind ability. And we can begin to look at things from a more critical point. And we can see the dynamics happening out here. Whereas when we're really young, those if something goes wrong in my world, it's I did something wrong. You know, I'm not a good person and and we make decisions about ourselves. And But those things go on to dominate our lives later on, how we think about ourselves. For instance, I was raised as the stupid kid in the family, mm -hmm. and there was pretty low expectations for me out in the world. And it took, uh, uh, and I, it was easy to live up to those expectations because <laughs> I didn't do well in school or like that. But later on, I, I wasn't going to let that define me. And I used other methods. I used hypnosis and whatever to get beyond that and to, to begin to think of myself, myself differently. In the early 70s, I did the Silva method. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But, you know, their mantra was change your mind, change your life. Mm. And I really took that to heart. And I began changing the way I thought about myself and my world around me. And I continued using hypnosis methods. Also, at that time, I was a migraine sufferer, and I learned 
hypnosis methods to get rid of those migraines. I've never had a migraine since. I've helped an awful lot of people get rid of theirs. And the methods I use now are a lot quicker than the ones I was using back then. But to get back to your question, hypnosis is everywhere. You know, one description I use is like hypnosis is its own definition. You know, we think about, you know, your your English teacher said, don't use the term to describe the term, you know, <laughs> and there's some something to that. But some terms, I think, are are their own definition, like we talk about electricity. So, well, what is electricity? There's really not clear definition of what this is. We can say, well, electricity is current flowing through a conductor. And that can be true, but that doesn't describe static electricity. And, or we could just describe it, well, it's energy. And yeah, it is energy, but as Einstein said, everything is energy. So that really doesn't help either. But we use electricity. We can even see it at times or see the effects of it, but we're not really describing it. And hypnosis is the same thing, sort of. It's like, we use it all the time, and but it's hard to really describe in a very concise way. Mm-hmm. Now, in the book that you got there, what is hypnosis? I talk about the application theory of hypnosis, and there's a lot of debate going on. I mean, there's a lot of descriptions of what hypnosis is or what is supposedly definitions, but most of these definitions are not definitions of hypnosis. They're more descriptions of qualities of hypnosis like sometimes we say well hypnosis is a state of deep relaxation or hypnosis is a uh, state of receptivity to suggestions and things like that and but these are not actual definitions of hypnosis it's about qualities that we experience while we're in hypnosis in a usually in a formal trance state and so it can't be that it cannot be the definition of hypnosis if it is a quality of that state. We have to be in hypnosis first in order to experience that. So the application theory, I talk about how we experience these various hypnotic outcomes because of some application. And so it's and these applications can be. I could formally induce somebody into a particular state, and that would be an application. But sometimes hypnosis is triggered by simply listening to a song come on the radio that kind of takes you back to the day or just gives you a warm feeling or looking at some scenery. And and what triggers a state of hypnosis it can be very formal, like if I was to do it with you or if you were to do it to yourself, hypnotize yourself using self-hypnosis. But there's a lot of things that are triggering these trance states just sort of out of the kismet. You know, it's just like, boom, things come together and like that. You know, if you ever just found yourself staring off into space or like that, this is hypnosis. When you find yourself meditating or praying or involved in some ceremony these are all kinds of hypnosis and if we begin to embrace these things rather than you know oh my god it's the boogeyman then we're creating fear 
And that fear is distancing ourselves from the reality of what we could do with these states and for them to use for us. When people say it's mind control or it's this or that, they're not incorrect. Hmm. But if we understand it, we're less likely to get caught up in those kinds of things. That that sort of thing takes a lot of conditioning. Hmm. And it's not something that's going to happen in your hypnotist's office. But cults and things like that use this language and so forth to condition you. And next thing you know, you're at the branch of the video and <laughs> there you are, you know, or you're drinking the Kool-Aid, but you just slowly, slowly got conditioned into it, which is happening all the time. We get conditioned to buy messages. We get over the television, constant advertising, things like that, you know, and when there is political campaigns going on, we're bombarded with these messages and we don't even know if they're real. You know, you, there's a sign out in the yard, your neighbor's yard no on 13 there's one on the phone pole there's one here there's on the billboards no on 13 who even knows what no on 13 is but the people who put that out there know that if you see no on 13 enough when you show up at the polls and you see no on 13 you're liable to check that box now the only difference between no on 13 and yes on 13 was the people for no on 13 had more of those little signs to put up than the other ones did. And therefore you, you become more conditioned to do that. You know, back when George W. Bush was president, we heard this term weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass. We heard that a gazillion times and that was conditioning us so that when, when Bush was ready to go over there and rampage the place, Everybody was conditioned to go along with it. And when it was all over and done and the dust settled, there was no weapons of mass destruction. But it doesn't matter because he got his way. And we see that happening now. You know, it's not like a, a politician has never lied to us. But, you know, <laughs> if they keep putting these messages out and pretty soon we begin to think that it, there's truth to it. Hmm. But politicians have told us, the main thing, if you if you want people to fall in line with you, is tell them what they want to hear. You don't don't tell them the truth. People don't want the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. What makes them feel warm and fuzzy? It's that whole dissonance thing of Leon Festinger. You know, it's like people will move away from a dissonant state to a consonant state. It doesn't even matter if it's right or good for us. We want to move from that cognitive dissonance to a consonant state, or we will accept the lie to stay in that consonant state so that we don't experience the dissonance of knowing the truth. So here we are all and in this world right now, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, there are several things I want to say in relation to all of this, but just immediately the thing that comes to mind is something I've been saying quite a bit is that it, what you're saying there, it reminds me of this language that people use of being awake. And it is, you know, it's like, oh, you know, now I know the truth. And I always see that as just a shift to another worldview. Yeah. And it's like, but is it the truth? I don't know. And it also, what came to mind as you were 
speaking there is like with the example of Bush and the, the war in Iraq, I, you know, I used to go around Denver leaving sidewalk chalk messages like a year and a half before don't go into Iraq, don't go into Iraq <laughs> because I saw it coming. And I remember, and it was, I don't know if it was like an awakening experience, but it was, I, I, I like to walk. And so I would walk every evening and I remember I had the TV on and it was right, right after nine 11, just like a day or two after nine 11. And the news was on and I don't even remember what station it was. I think it was one of the cable news channels and whoever the anchor was at that time was saying, well, as Americans, this is how we're going to respond. And as Americans, this is how we feel. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, wait a minute, who are you to tell me how we're supposed to respond? Who are you to tell me how to feel? Right. And there was this, you know, I don't want to say an awakening, but there was an awakening of critical faculties, I think. Mm -hmm. But I saw a lot of people that, and I think the language was they're asleep, you know, they're asleep to this thing. And hypnosis means sleep, doesn't it? Isn't that where the word comes from? Yeah, it comes from the Greek god hypnos, the god of sleep. Yeah. And a lot of people think of it as sleep mm. and we've used the terms hypnotic sleep and sleep attached to hypnosis and mesmeric sleep and things like that. And when Dr. James Braid used the name hypnosis, he was actually tying it to, he was a neurologist. So he thought that hypnosis, it was a sleep state and he wrote a book called Neurohypnology, and that's how the term got started. But he thought this ha was happening as part of our neurology, which it does have, they are related. But then later on, he goes, oh, my God, it's not sleep. It is, and he tried to change the term to ideism, which meant focused on one idea, which is something that's also a big part of hypnosis. And people have used that as a definition but that's not it either but anyway the term hypnosis had already caught on and so it, it stayed that way mm. we in hypnosis we can be very this close to sleep and not mm. be asleep mm. and in uh, dave ellman's book who ellman is a very famous hypnotist in the and almost like a god to some people in hypnosis but he wrote in his book that we don't go from a sleep state to a hypnotic state. and But we can go from a sleep state to a hypnotic state. Now, when I read that, I thought this cannot be right. But over the years working with people, I'm going, mostly that is right. I mean, I think we can go from a hypnotic state to a sleep state, but it happens a lot more rarely than people might think especially hypnotists. A lot of hypnotists think, oh, my client fell asleep. I can't work with them. Not true. And if we do the right kinds of waking hypnosis and stuff, it won't matter if they do fall asleep. And just because somebody is, quote, asleep, which is kind of hard to define unless you got them hooked up to an electroencephalograph machine, and even that might not give you accurate information, it doesn't matter. We can still be receptive to the suggestion and like that. And if we've done the right kind of pre-talk, the right kind of waking hypnosis, it's not going to matter because they're going to get the 
the information, they're going to get the change because even if they fall asleep, the change occurs. And that's, you know, that's just kind of being a good hypnotist. But a lot of them just haven't, don't know these things. They need to listen to me more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, when I was reading the book, and this is part of the philosopher in me, that I, I wanted a clear definition. And you were listing some things that hypnosis is, and you mentioned them in what you were saying, and I have some written down. So I'm just going to go through some of these. Uh, There are a few that I want to talk about, but you, you know, daydreaming, driving, Mm -hmm. being in shock, you mentioned meditation. And I want to go back to the meditation here for a second after I'm done condition responses, staring into space, repetitive behavior, repetitive actions, expectancy, which I think is really important, imagination, placebo, and I want to go back to placebo, massage, taking a walk, boredom, eating, herd mentality, habit, psychosomatic phenomena, prayer, altered states of consciousness, shamanism, sleep, ceremony and ritual, emotion, music. And when I was reading this, I'm like, well, but this isn't helping me because everything (laughs) seems to be hypnosis and what i what i did is i'm like well it seems to me one of two things it's like either this is going to be just consciousness in general and consciousness is really tricky to define as well or it is perhaps referring to altered states of consciousness or non-ordinary states of consciousness yes so what is ordinary? You know, it's like in hypnosis, we're always using this term, normal states of consciousness. Hypnosis is a deviation from normal consciousness. But what is normal? Normal is is my experience of normal, you know, right. or your experience. That normal thing is very elusive. Mm. And, you know, it's like the Aborigines, they think they say that the dream state, what we think of as a dream state, is normal. And the rest of it is the abnormal part, the dreams, the not reality. So it's kind of how we interpret things. I don't know if I wrote, wrote about that particular experience in that book, but I, I read a, a story. And this this was some years back, and I think it was in a Reader's Digest. But the story is about this woman, and she was, I think, like in her mid-60s or whatever. She had been blind since birth. And she fell in the kitchen, hit her head. I think she knocked herself briefly unconscious or whatever. But when she started to regain consciousness by some miracle or whatever, her eyesight came back or came. And the first thing that she noticed was the colorful patterns in the linoleum floor. She thought she was going crazy. Her, for her, this was a, a, a state of consciousness or like a trip or something, you know. Mm-hmm. But being blind was normal for her. Mm-hmm. Us seeing the patterns in the linoleum floor would be normal for us. But so her normal and our normal are not even close and 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 that's true for for her getting her eyesight back was an altered state of consciousness Hmm. and for us it would be totally normal so whenever i use the terms normal i go like this you know because it's like whatever 
Right. And we all, when we hear that term, we all think, oh yeah, well, normal, yeah. But what normal really is, is things that are typical, usual, you know, things that we're, we experience, but that can vary a lot from person to person. So all those sorts of things are, are, are variables. You know, you talk, you mentioned meditation and, but meditation is a form of hypnosis. You know, it's just how, it's just how we are making use of it in that time. You know, we may be focusing on meditation beads or rosary beads there. I mean, there's got lots of different names, but a lot of different traditions use beads to focus on, or we might have a mantra that we use or whatever that helps us to get you into a particular state. Typically, it's not really different from self-hypnosis other than in self-hypnosis, we usually have a more rapid way to get ourselves there. And we usually have a goal in mind where a lot of times with meditation is just simply, you know, quieting the mind, I might say, or like that. And, and that's not to say that epiphanies don't come to us in meditation because it certainly can. And, and I think there's a lot of usefulness in just sitting and being still and letting whatever happens in the subconscious. But so it's a form of hypnosis. And in all these, you know, we, we, we talk about all these brain wave levels as measured by an encephalograph machine, electroencephalograph machine. And in most, most of these levels, we can be asleep. Now, some of them were not, but most of those levels, we can be asleep or we can be doing something that's not like sleep at all. So it's it's kind of weird, you know, so you can be in hypnosis and you can appear to be asleep and maybe you're not. Or you could, a lot of things could happen in those very deep states, like in a very deep delta state. We've always said that it wasn't very likely that hypnotic suggestions would be received, but some newer information is they're saying a lot of people in a Delta state will sleep walk or sleep talk unlike that. So that's telling me there's some consciousness going on there one way or another. But in general, we're not receptive to suggestion in those states. Not to say that I wouldn't give somebody suggestions there because who knows, they might receive those and, and it's not that tough to do. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that... I thought about when I was thinking through all of this is I, I agree with you that the question of, well, what is normal? Because when you think about it, it's like, yeah, we just assume that there's this sort of shared normal consciousness, but that's just kind of an assumption mm -hmm. uh, and that there are all these other sort of forms or states of consciousness. And you're, you seem to be <laughs> kind of honing in on this idea of focus one of the questions I had was if we're trying to come up with a idea of, or a definition of hypnosis, would suggestibility be part of that? And I also, I have that question. I'll, I'll leave that question. And then I want to go back to meditation. I don't want to overburden you with no, no. too much in the questions. So suggestibility is what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Okay. So like we say in a theta state or what we would call somnambulism. Now, somnambulism means awake and asleep at the same time. And the Marquis de Pusiger 
used this term when he was hypnotizing his gardener and realized that he wasn't actually asleep and he had some awareness and he used that term somnambulism which has is very common in the work we do today hmm. somnambulism is also a term that describes sleepwalking hmm. and we like to work in this state in a theta state somnambulism and um the the subject is typically more receptive to suggestions in this state however we can be receptive to suggestions in any state except maybe a deep delta state but i wouldn't even rule that out necessarily i mean it's who knows but it it depends on a lot of things it depends on the receptivity of the individual it depends on who's giving the suggestion what the conditions are that's being accepted you know you could be in a totally conscious state and your doctor says you have cancer now boom that goes right into the conscious mind and if he follows that with you've got 90 days to live boom that goes right in even if he's wrong there's a good chance you can be dead in 90 days yeah. and there's been documentations of these things happening so that's also what we call a prestige suggestion. So somebody who's held in a position of high regard has more access to your subconscious mind. So if it's your priest talking to you, or if it's a policeman or your doctor or somebody that we hold in high regard, the things that they say will impact our subconscious more so. Dr. Ber Bernie Siegel said, I am hypnosis and what he meant by that was he was a doctor he's wearing a doctor's smock he's got a stethoscope hanging around his neck and his suggestions were more powerful simply because people held him in in that regard dr milton erickson who is like a god in the world of hypnosis experienced the same thing today we study ericksonian hypnosis and we use those methods but nobody did ericksonian hypnosis like milton erickson because he was erickson and there was this expectation you know you go to see erickson these things are going to happen and also erickson had suffered greatly from polio as a youngster his vocal cords had been damaged and it was sometimes hard to understand what he was saying hmm. but in that is well, I'm not sure what he said, but Erickson said it so must be good, you know, and, and and so it worked. And and we know this phenomenon to be true, that a lot of times people experience healings and hypnosis that had nothing to do with what was being said in there. And I have a whole piece of pattern that I use that I give to my students that taps in to that psychology there so that you can tap into the willingness of the subconscious to make a change even though it's not what they came in for you know they may have come in to stop smoking and now you know their skin rash cleared up or whatever <laughs> it was you know yeah. and and i've actually seen i've seen that happen in real time i was studying with a, a guy down in florida and we were videoing a session and the woman he was using for a demo had this terrible neck rash 
And while he's working with her, and they they weren't doing anything about the neck rash. It was about something that happened in her past. And there was a bunch of us sitting around watching the demo. And then we all looked at each other. You know, it's like, we all noticed at the same time, the neck rash was gone. Boom, just like that. You know, so these things can happen pretty quick. And he never talked about the neck rash. Hmm. Nobody did, but it was gone just hmm. that fast. So suggestion we're bombarded with it. we were bombarded with george w bush's suggestion and for some people that suggestion may have been more powerful if you were a follower of bush boom you're gonna yeah oh those weapons of mass destruction but if i'm going the other direction i'm going that guy's an idiot you know that's like uh-huh. it just kind of depends on the kind of regard you hold hold at that end i'm kind of I'm kind of a type, I'm a little dubious of anybody in government, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I appreciate the idea of the suggestion and authority. And one of the things, I don't remember if it was in your book. I know I read it just recently, and it's in regards to placebos, and I think it fits in with the authority, but it was an instance of this fellow who had been diagnosed with cancer. And I I think he was like at stage four or something. And there were some trials of an experimental medicine that seemed to target the kind of cancer he had. And so the doctor was able to get him into this trial and his cancer just cleared up. And then what happened was and this is a new term that I had never heard before. You know, you have the placebo effect, but you also have the nocebo effect. Right. And so this patient read or heard a study that said, oh, well, the, 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 the research was faulty and the, you know, the pill doesn't work. And all, all of a sudden his cancer came back. And so his doctor tricked him in a sense, and he said, oh, well, here, take this. And it was just like a sugar pill. It was technically a placebo. He's like, they actually did further research and this is the one that'll work. And sure enough, the cancer started going away again until eventually he read another, heard another study that said, nope, 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 doesn't work at all. And then he died within a few months. And it just goes to show the power of suggestion, the power of belief, the power of authority, and the power of the mind. Absolutely. And yeah, you read that in my book. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of that information came, I think it was Bernie Siegel. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And 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 that did happen. And those kinds of things happen all the time. There was there was a guy who I think he had some kind of a brain tumor or something. And and he said, oh, if I can just make it through Christmas, if I can just be through my family with my family, then I'll, I'll be OK to go. And he made it through Christmas. Everything was fine. And then a few days later, he died. Mm. And when they autopsied him, nothing had changed. Mm. The brain tumor had not grown. Nothing. Only his own mind <laughs> kind of yeah. killed him, you know. But it's like, you know, so if we and that is the psychosomatic response Hmm. you know we tell ourselves all the time we're giving ourselves hypnotic suggestions you know it's like oh i wake up every monday morning with a headache well what are you telling your body you know it's like yeah yeah, here we go again Hmm. but we could also and 
and you know a lot of times we say well it's all in your head mm. you know and it could be but it's, i'm still sick you know yeah. you know and we say if it's in your head it's like somehow that's diminishing it you know but it's like those things are just as real but we could also be giving ourselves psychosomatic messages like I'm healthy, wealthy, and thin, and, you know, my life is good, and, you know, like that. We could be giving us those same kind of suggestions, and it has that psychosomatic response. Or we could go, well, I must have the fat gene because everybody in my family is fat, and so so I'm going to be fat, too. So what do we do? Now we're all happily overweight, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned the psychosomatic phenomenon. I, I kind of want a different term for it. Maybe, I don't know, someone had suggested to me once, somatic psycho. But you gave in your book the example of your father and your brother, that both of them had coronary issues. And they right. just kind of resigned themselves to it, even though it wasn't genetic, especially for your brother. You don't have the similar issues. And right. what came to my mind is from my own family my father had declined his health declined for over like 15 years but essentially what happened was his the the sac that his heart sits in his uh, pericardium had right. calcified and so his heart wasn't able to beat properly and so he kept filling up with fluids and so he kept getting diagnosed with pneumonia or you know kind of a, a heart congestion and so he ended up having to have a surgery where the they removed the pericardium so that the heart could beat properly. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work for him. He never made it out of intensive care. But what I found interesting, and this is the reason I bring this up, is that my brother, right around the same time that my dad started getting really sick, he started developing very similar symptoms. And he ended up having to have the same operation and the same surgeon. And the surgeon even told him, this is not genetic. This is not a genetic illness at all. And I remember talking to my sister-in-law and I'm, you know, I'm on the phone driving back and I'm like, it, it, and I said, I think it's psychosomatic, which she read as, or heard as, well, it's all in his head. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's this connection <laughs> between there's something in his psychology that is making this manifest in this very specific way. And that's why I want a different term than psychosomatic because of the negative connotations with it. There is a new term for that. And I'd have to go look in my book because I don't remember <laughs> it off the top of my head. But no, there is a new term for that. And and it is, a, you know, maybe a more PC type of term, you know, but when we say psychosomatic, most of us kind of know what that means. It's like if if we talk about I mean, multiple personality disorders now referred to as DID or right. disassociative identity disorder, but most people don't respond to the DID thing. Right. They, we We know multiple personality disorder and that's what we kind of understand and it's a descriptive term of what's happening so yeah, yeah. you know but yeah that i uh, forget the actual it has changed that psychosomatic term there's a new term for it that is a little more pc but i, I don't know i i kind of yeah. i i'm old school i like yeah, those yeah. old terms a lot 
Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted a new term because of the, like I said, there was that negative connotation. You're uh, right. It's all in your head. And it's like, well, it's right. oh, it's not saying that it's because I think people read that as, well, it's just imaginary. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not imaginary. It's concrete. It's really happening. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter. And and you're right. It has a, that connotation with it, which I don't like. If we look at the term, that it could be just as positive as it is negative, but people don't generally do that. They look at the negative part of right, it. Right, right. It's like you hear the term voodoo. Well, what do you think? People are shoving pins and dolls, mm. injuring other people. But voodoo really is more about healing and things like that. Right, right. It's not about that sort of thing. But that's what people focus in on is the, right. the fearful part of everything. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And with that, I think there's another example in relation to that with the nocebo, where I've read that people who believe that they've been cursed will come to believe that, you know, all these bad things are because of, you know, bad things start manifesting and they're, like, oh, what's well, the curse? And it's like, well, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, so those are suggestions, yeah. those curses. Yeah. And if you, if you're terrified by it, you're liable to have negative effects from it, but mm -hmm. there's not somebody in Louisiana or somewhere poking uh, right, pins right. in a doll that's affecting me because I don't know it. If they right, are, right. you know, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. And uh, it, it's kind of, I think you have to know that somebody's cursing yeah. you or somebody's poking pins in a doll to make that effective. Yeah. But mostly that's not happening. A lot of these things that we have fear about like witchcraft mm. witchcraft really is the practice of folk remedies and folk traditions right. and things like that almost everything has some dark side over here mm. and uh, and that's what people focus on but you know because there's there's weirdos out there they'll <laughs> they'll <laughs> yes, take anything are. and turn yeah. it into something yeah yeah well, and I, I also like the idea that there's this expectancy aspect to it. And there was something that you wrote in your book, which you were talking about a patient who I think came to you to quit smoking. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to add, I had a friend who quit smoking through hypnotism. Um, mm -hmm. One session, walked out, never smoked again. That's the way it should um, be. Yeah. Well, what occurred to me though, when I was reading what you were writing about this is that you were actually setting the stage before the actual hypnosis. Yeah. Kind of setting the stage that, you know, what to expect and that, yeah, no, this is going to work. And I, and I thought, you know, which is more important, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say which is more important, but it seems like that's every bit a part of the hypnosis as yeah. here now i'm going to put you into this hypnotic state exactly this is what we call waking hypnosis and especially like for your the smoker i'm creating what i call a foregone conclusion which oftentimes referred to as a presupposition but whatever happens in that session leads to the positive outcome that we're looking for we want to create that expectation. And 
you know what the what the mind expects is going to happen is going to happen and you know i i talk to my students about this i try to train this into the, their beings you know but it's like and it's not just we we create this expectation in the client but i have to have this expectation too i have to believe you're going to walk out that door non-smoker mm-hmm. you know because then i'm imbuing you with that as well and if the the client gets sucked into this it's gonna happen i'll tell you i had a a client early on and we had we did a fairly lengthy intake and then at the end and we're getting ready to do the hypnosis the guy goes well he says i got one problem and i go what's that and he says i don't think i can be hypnotized Hmm. and i go how much do you want to bet and he goes I'm not betting you. You're too sure of yourself. Well, what happened? I mean, I'm not recommending to do that all the time, but what happened was I broke down his resistance right there. He goes, man, this guy's too good, you know, and now he's available to me and I can do whatever. If if I hadn't gotten through that, he might have tried to resist me. He might have been successful. And we don't want that because that makes it tougher. But you're right. We create this expectation that something's going to occur. People do this anyway. Like I was just working with an athlete yesterday, a catcher. And he was, you know, we think of the catcher sitting there catching this ball at them. Well, that's true. But they have to be really good at throwing as well because they got to get that ball back to the pitcher. Sometimes they got to throw it to the bases to put somebody out, things like that. So they got to be good at throwing as well. And he was, he was typically really good, but he was having trouble getting the ball back to the pitcher, you know, in some graceful way. But probably something had happened. You know, maybe he threw some bad returns to the pitcher. Maybe it even embarrassed him. Maybe it got him in trouble or whatever. But now that got anchored in the subconscious. So that creates an expectation that I'm going to keep having trouble getting it back to the pitcher. So. Once we shift that expectation, once we create a new expectation, that becomes our expectation. There's a little analogy that I like to use, and and that is this. If we get up every morning, we step out on the front porch, and we head down this path, and we've headed down that same path every day. Now, that could be the path of a smoker. It could be the path of going to fast food. It could be but we've always gone down that same path. So one morning we get up and we step out on the porch and there's been a huge snowstorm and any sign of a path is not there. But during the night, with the help of your local hypnotist, we've made a new path off in this more positive direction. And now that becomes the new path. And really there's an actual changes that happen i mean we create a neural pathway that keeps us that becomes what i call the path of least resistance and we just keep heading down that same path that's the easy way to go but in hypnosis we're creating a new path and now this becomes the easy way to go but it's a more positive way and that's what happens with smokers uh, lots of people but we've done this same thing over and over it does that becomes normal for us and we just keep repeating that pattern but once the mind learns it can do something different, 
it can throw the ball to the catcher or the pitcher every time, or I can go down this other road here and not smoke, then that's what's going to happen. And uh, that's that's kind of the thing. We have that expectation it can work for us or against us. So it's my job as a hypnotist to create an expectation that's going to carry us down that that new path. <laughs> okay. Well, because one of the things I'm thinking about here, and this goes back to what you had said at the beginning, and this is also in, I think, the preface of your book, What is Hypnosis?, that you said that, and this is when you, I think, were learning the Silva method. You wrote that by changing my thoughts, I could change my life. And one of the things I started thinking about is, I guess now it's kind of referred to as new thought. And you've talked about this. It's like, you know, if you tell yourself these negative things, you know, you're going to have negative experiences. And so in this sort of new thought, and it's not all that new, it's been around for a long time. You know, one of the goals is you just change the narrative that you're telling yourself, you know, instead mm -hmm. of saying, I'm a loser, you know, I'm a winner, you know, or what have you. But I was wondering, it's like, it seems to me that it would be a little bit more beneficial if this was done maybe I, i'm kind of stumbling here because of the, the 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 way i'm going to word this but if it's done through a kind of hypnosis because it seems like you know if i sit and i tell myself over and over you know let's say i've got writer's block i don't have writer's block or i write 10 you know five hours every day that it seems like it would work better if that suggestion could actually happen at a more unconscious level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And if I tell myself I don't have writer's block, I'm going to ensure that I have writer's block. Right, right. I'm probably just not going to like it very much. But how we talk to the subconscious mind and how we get it to do things is, is very important. And even hypnotists don't realize that what we're saying in a conscious state is affecting the subconscious yeah. and and there are things if for instance i could give you positive suggestions over and over or you could give them to yourself let's say about something in your world however if that got programmed and became part of your critical faculty especially before you were five years old it's going to take an awful lot of those suggestions and stuff to get around that. Not to say it couldn't happen, but the thing is, it's also tied to emotion. So if we were being told that we were stupid and wouldn't amount to anything while we were being abused, that's really gets anchored into the critical faculty. And that's going to be a lot tougher to just tell yourself, I'm a good person and have the world be wonderful. And that's when somebody like me, you come to somebody like me and we go back and we find out what triggered that in the first place. And it's like, boom, it, it's like a freaking miracle when we, we hit that. And it's, you know, it's an aha moment. But even more than that, there's something that happens that I'm sure Fessinger never even considered when he wrote this theory of cognitive dissonance because... 
he always said that we go from a dissonant state to a, a, a consonant state. But in hypnosis, this is like magnified many times over. And we we take the client in, we discover the dissonant state that was the cause of this. And then boom, even that is all it really takes. But what we do is we create a new scenario based on the client's experience. And now this new, more positive scenario becomes the, the real state. And that becomes our consonants. And we move to that. And people go, well, do I, will I remember what happened? Yeah, you probably remember it, but it's not going to have the same charge that it did before. Because now it's the new consonant state, which is our normal. Yeah. Seems like it would make self-hypnosis kind of difficult, though. Yeah. So you can do a lot with self-hypnosis. And of course, I use self-hypnosis and I encourage other people to as well. And it's very helpful. And especially if we're really good at how we talk to our subconscious mind. However, there, there are limitations to what you can do. And I, this is kind of an analogy that I use. Let's say I have a short, sore shoulder. Well, I can rub that shoulder and that helps. But if a, a massage service rubs that shoulder, it helps a whole lot more. So, you know, and having a, another perspective helps a lot. It's, you know, it's like because you got another mindset working as well. And they may see things differently than you see them, the way that you're talking to yourself or whatever. And I might, you know, if somebody comes to me and they're trying to make a change through positive suggestion or something, I might look at how they're using those suggestions and I might change it up to where all of a sudden it makes more sense. Plus, it's nice to have somebody else hypnotize you and talk to your subconscious mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had an experience, I think, similar to this. I, I had um, back in November, I started having really bad pain. It felt like I had this massive knot in my back. And it was going through my right arm and it hurt to sit. <laughs> and one of my best friends is a massage therapist. So she was actually doing a lot of work with me and things like that. But I was at a retreat in February and one of the facilitators was a, a massage therapist and she had me on her table and she found that knot right away. And the first thing she said, like, well, hello, who is this? And I'm like, oh yeah. And I told her this story. There's a lot more that I'm not saying for time, but she's like, well, what's its name? I'm like, well, I haven't named it. And she's like, well, if you don't name it, how can you ask it to leave? And so <laughs> I, so I named it, I came up with a really good name for it. And, you know, you know, and, and that's what I started doing and it left. And whenever I start filling it, I'm like, Robert, get out. <laughs> You're not welcome here anymore. And it goes away. So I see that as kind of a form of hypnosis in a sense. It gave me a different way of dealing sure. with the and what, body. What probably happened was you're compartmentalizing it and like that. You know, it's like, for instance, if I'm working with somebody who has a headache, you know, a migraine, and let's say, and they'll come in, oh my God, my, my head's going to explode and all this. And then we start to talk about it and we go, okay, 
where exactly does that reside? How big is it? What shape is it? What color is it? You know, and we, what happens is the mind begins to compartmentalize it. Now, if we can compartmentalize it, we can begin to control it. We can affect it. And there's some simple methods we do from there. And it's like, it's gone. Because if you can gain control of it, you can affect it. We tend to catastrophize things. You know, it's like, I don't just, I've got a broken foot. It's almost healed now. But, you know, I my whole life is messed up. And in some ways, it does affect your whole life. But really, it's it's just a foot, you know, and, and we can deal with that. But and I have clients that'll come in, oh, I'm a total mess. Hmm. And I go, no, you're not a total mess. You get this and that will bring those things together and, and it'll it'll be fine. You know, if your car's not running right, you don't throw the whole car away. You get the injectors clean and you replace the plugs and you're good to go. The whole thing isn't a mess, but we tend to think that way of ourselves. Hmm. And, and we are affected in some sense by, you know, a pain or, you know, I hurt my wrist and it really affected everything I did, like just working on the computer and stuff, you know, but really we don't have to think of it in terms of my whole life is screwed up. Yeah. My whole life is going to be back to normal soon. I'm just a little bit slowed down for now, but there's that tendency to catastrophize things and to go take it further than it needs to be. Yeah. I also want to ask about dreams and in specifically lucid dreaming. Yeah. Because if I understand correctly, you say that dreaming is, or at least lucid dreaming is a way that someone can actually engage in a kind of self-hypnosis. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, it's not just self-hypnosis. We're doing therapy on ourselves. Mm. And I haven't heard anybody mention it in those terms, but there is a Stephen LaBerge, and he had a, a co-writer on that, but he wrote, he's like the the main brains in the lucid dreaming world. And when I was reading his stuff back in the early 90s, he says, if you, when you find yourself in a dream, look at your hands. And once you look at your hands, then you can begin to control the dream. But he said, it could take weeks of practice before this happens. So I went to bed that night, started dreaming, looked at my hands, and away we go. <laughs> and so I've, you know, experimented with that ever since. But the thing, I'd be laying there in bed asleep, having a dream, and I'm going, oh my God, I'm doing therapy on myself. Because <laughs> really what we're doing, if we take control in the dream, like, if we're being chased by the bad guys or whatever it is, I mean, it's metaphorical stuff. And we take control of that. What we're doing is training our subconscious that we can take control, that we can set boundaries and we can be in control in our lives. And that carries on. Now, I I love my dreams. I don't remember them all, all that well. But mostly I'm on some kind of adventure, whether it's, and I like the outdoors a lot, so I'm out there a lot, or somewhere, it's always an adventure and not disturbing. And I think part of that is that I've kind of automatically learned I can take these dreams wherever I want. They're not Mm -hmm. going to run me and like that. A lot of people, 
even their sleep issues, if they have trouble sleeping, is sometimes because they're afraid of their dreams. They don't want to dream because they're terrifying, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's really our subconscious is telling us something needs to change. We need to look at something. And, you know, so we might be better off with some psychotherapy or something. But lucid dreaming would be a good place for these people to start. Because if you start controlling those dreams, you won't be afraid to fall asleep and to go into those dreams. To me, and and I've talked about this elsewhere, but for hypnosis to occur, there seems to be a need for just at least a teeny bit of consciousness. Mm. And if we're controlling our dreams, there has to be some consciousness available to make that happen. So really, we're doing a form of self-hypnosis in our dreams. And, you know, it's it's great. I, I love that because I'm sleeping away and I go, oh, man, I'm doing therapy on myself. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it, it is rather tricky to get into that lucid dreaming state though but you have to it's that expectancy again i think is that you know every night before i go to sleep i always repeat several times i will remember my dreams i will remember my dreams and like you said laburge you know he suggests you know look at your hand several times a day or look at something look away and then look back to make sure it hasn't changed you know and so it's kind of like setting the expectation and then also say, you know, I will, instead of, I will remember my dreams, I will have a lucid dream. Yes, that's good. Yeah. And, and, and people, that's a good advice for people to follow because, you know, I, I don't know if I talked about the pro-hypnotic suggestion, but that's what's happening. We're giving ourselves a suggestion that when I fall asleep or when I'm in trance, this is what's going to happen. Your subconscious will follow along with these things and, before you know it, you're doing the deed, you know, and it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Now, you also, I think, have noted that hypnosis can be a useful tool in analyzing our dreams. Yeah. Yeah. How so? Well, for one thing, you know, a lot of times, especially if we have a reoccurring dream, what's that dream trying to tell us? If we have a reoccurring dream, it's telling us something important. The subconscious communicates to us through these metaphorical images. So what do these mean? You know, when I was with my ex-wife years ago, a long time ago, I kept having these dreams of trying to get away. And I, like my feet were stuck in the mud and I'm trying very hard to get away and not happening. And, and once I split from her, those dreams stopped. <laughs> so my subconscious is telling me, you got to take some kind of action. You got to make this happen. And if we have nightmares, that's the subconscious is saying, hey, pay freaking attention. Change needs to happen. And if we don't do anything to, to make that change, we're likely to keep continue having those nightmares. So we need to we need to take those things seriously, but it's a way. And this is one reason why hypnosis is a, a good way to deal with these things. For one thing, in hypnosis, we can bring that dream into our consciousness. You know, if you only remember part of a dream, that's enough to bring the whole dream back and see what it's trying to tell us. In hypnosis, it, it comes back pretty easily. And it's not difficult at all to do. And then 
we can begin to decipher those messages. But basically, and what I've written about is the subconscious communicates to us through metaphor. So metaphor is a good way to communicate to the subconscious. So we give the subconscious the images that we want and we're communicating to it in, in that way. Hmm. So if I say I I don't want to have writer's block, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not communicating much. It's more like right. maybe if I use an image of me cranking out a novel or right. something, that's a better better way to connect with the subconscious. Yeah, and that made me think of ritual and ceremony. And it's something I try to do is to work with images in a way as metaphor. So what I was thinking about, if I have writer's block, maybe what I want to do is imagine, you know, not just myself writing, but, you know, a nice pen, like a good fountain pen or something. And, you know, to have a more of a concrete image that is metaphoric for what I want to achieve. Yes. Now, did you get a copy of my book, Activate Your Muse? No, I only have the one. What is hypnosis? Oh, okay. Well, I'll make sure you get that one. Because okay. that, that's kind of what that's geared to is tapping into your subconscious, how to get past writer's blog, things like that. So, yeah. 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 It's... I teach a class on that at Colorado Free University, oh. and there's part of the class. There's uh, what is your low-hanging fruit? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know what's the easy way to go? And I'm sitting there and I'm teaching this class. I'm going, well, this would be my low-hanging fruit. Yeah, so I yeah. just went ahead and wrote a book about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know we're starting to run out of time, but I do have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Sure. One is, and this will be the last one I'll ask in terms of the sort of the self-hypnosis. It seems to me a really valuable sort of state of consciousness to work with would be that hypnagogic state, mm -hmm. that sort of state in between. And I'm curious, is this being in hypnosis, it, would it be something similar to that hypnagogic state where it's kind of in between. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice that you bring it up. And people who are wanting to, uh, you know, affect their subconscious, this is a good way to do it because the hypnagogic state is a normal, natural state that we go through as we're drifting off to sleep at night. So this is a good time to be listening to some of your positive affirmations or things like that or just creating some good positive images in your mind. It's also a good reason to not be watching the news or something as you fall asleep at night, because now you're just dumping a bunch of negative stuff in your subconscious and you're gonna wake up with a negative mental attitude in the morning. It's also, you know, if you have little kids, as they're going off to sleep, you know, give them some nice positive suggestions and things like that. and. And, and it's good. There's also the hypnopompic state, which is mm -hmm. the other end of that. Right. As we're waking up in the morning, we go through this hypnopompic state, which we're also very suggestible. The problem with that is that so many people wake up with an alarm clock or whatever, jump mm -hmm. up and rushing to get off to work, and they miss the opportunity to just sort of slide into the waking state and and receive some of that so i'm i want to invent a an alarm clock where 
or it could just be a, an app on your phone or something now. Couldn't it work? They, I know where you're going and they have them. I was just going to say that the wonderful Denver bookstore, formerly known as Isis, now known as Goddess Isis, I remember way back, the very first time I ever went there, back in the late 80s, they had, it was called a Zen alarm clock. And really? What, yeah, and what it did is it gave you a series of increasing chimes in volume. So it was like for 30 minutes or so, you would have a very faint little chime. And then a few minutes later, the chime would get a little bit louder. So it would gently wake you up. Huh. Um, and I think that's exactly what you're getting at. Uh, yes. Yeah. So sorry to let you know that someone already invented it, but uh, well, I'll invent a better one. Then. <laughs> there you go. And they may have them on, there may be apps for it too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could just create an app or something. Yeah. Like I know what that's all about. I don't yeah. have a clue, but. Well, you know, there's, there's technology that can help us with these things. I mean, there's binaural beats right. to get us into specific states of mind. And I've been, I have. Um, and I've had this for probably almost 25 years now. It's a light and sound device. I kind of love the acronym there, but it's <laughs> does binaural beats, but you also have goggles that have little lights. And so as you're listening to the binaural beats, it puts you into this. There's sort of my set right here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, do you use that on with, when you're working with patients or is that something that Sometimes. you do? Uh, and like, I'm going to have somebody coming in with ADD here soon. And that's one of the things I use a lot on there. There's a setting called, um, uh, forget the name of it, but it helps people with ADD to balance those brain waves to get focused. And what I do is uh, I use it with them. If it helps, then I, I show, show them, you know, Go get your own machine. You don't want to come back to me just to listen to this machine. Although it'd be easy money for me, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not necessary. You can buy a machine that'll do it for a hundred bucks or so. Yeah. That'll save you a trip out here. But it, yeah. yeah. So there are things we can do in hypnosis too that helps for that. But that brainwave machine is is pretty helpful. Yeah. 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 I don't work with it as much as I would like, but every now and then I, you know, get it out and start experimenting you know um, yes so, and i'm always when i do use it you know it's like i go why haven't i been using this lately you know yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah my i don't know about yours I, I would imagine it's similar uh but scott i think mine has like 50 pre-programmed programs in it and uh, some of them are interesting some of them are very, yes. very interesting um and i've tried i've tried to put in, you know, sort of affirmations and, you know, suggestions to see how it works. That's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always playing around with what's going on up here. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that we know that hypnosis can work with things like weight loss and smoking cessation. You mentioned ADD, anxiety. What else can it help with? You know what, you said anxiety, and I'm going to hone in on that a bit because that's the main thing that comes through my door these days. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, some days all my clients are going to be anxiety, you know, and I think it's a reflection of our world. You know, it used to be smokers and weight loss and phobias and this, that, and the other thing. And now it's anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Yeah. And it's just a reflection of our culture people's coping strategies are breaking down we're getting too bombarded with all this negativity 
and like that. And, you know, COVID and all those kind of things has played into it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad, sad comment. And there was something else there you were asking about? Oh, I was just asking what, what else hypnosis can help with? You know, what, oh what my gosh, the, what are the limits? <laughs> you know what? I, I think there are no limits, but you know, and we want to think, well, hypnosis will fix pretty much everything. But if somebody comes in to me with a broken arm, I'm going to send them to the doctor. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, I can help you, but you know, you need to have it set and cast and stuff like that. You know, yeah. we can help it to heal faster and like that, but you know, let's, let's be reasonable. Somebody comes in with a headache. I want to know, have you had brain scans and MRIs and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Has, you know, has the doctor released this, you know, because I can make your headache go away, but if you got a brain tumor, right. I didn't help you, you know? So we got to be careful about those kind of things, but yeah. You know, right now I seem to be getting a lot of people for sports. You know, baseball season is picking up, and well, even cycling and stuff is getting big by this time of year. So, yeah, a lot of that sort of thing is coming in. But I work with all sorts of emotional issues, phobias, things like that. You know, I do mentoring sessions for other hypnotists. There's just no, no limit. You know, prosperity, those kind of things, just personal growth. You know. Mm. People just want to be better people. And yeah. uh, hypnosis, it can help you with all that stuff. I mean, I have some people, they might come and see me once every six months or so, but they just want to keep their life moving in a direction, you right. know. Right. And, and and that's really not a bad way to look at it at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have healing to do, I think. And, uh, you know, I mentioned I had a guest on that did past life regressions, and her approach was, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if any of this is real. And what I took away from it, and I think this is a very valuable way of looking at this, is that even if someone's having this sort of experience in a hypnotic state and they're finding healing in it, it doesn't matter if it was real or not. What's important is the healing. Yes, you're absolutely right. And it's like I was talking about before that, subconscious communicates to us through a metaphor so it's going to respond to your metaphor yeah. and if that metaphor comes in the form of a past life experience so be it yeah uh, to me i don't judge anything yeah. that comes into my office yeah. you know i'm like you know whatever let's let's work with, you know as long as you exhibit abilities you know decent mental health and like that if you're psychotic i'm not going to probably right. work with you but right, right. uh but if you you're fairly high functioning we're, we're gonna we're gonna do something and make this happen yeah and it seems to me that the experience was especially like with the past life things is it creates a sort of distance between you and i think it makes a safer container you know, yes. that you can actually experience something in a safer way than what you could dr- directly confronting it, perhaps. Yes, it can be a way. And this is not one of the things I like about it, but it can be a way for the client to sort of dissociate from yeah. ownership of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mostly. I find that it happened in 
this uh, current yeah, <laughs> life yeah. experience right right and they they just don't want to own it and so they're trying to distance it by mm -hmm. putting it into a past life yeah either way we're going to deal with it you know? right, <laughs> right, like, right right we'll get yeah. to it yeah. And in her book, that seemed to be the case more often than not, is that it was actually speaking to something in this life. They were just putting it into the context of, well, this wasn't me. This was, you know, this other person way back when. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And I remember I, I had a client and he said, oh, yeah. this is a past life thing, past life. And we got into past lives and while we're, we're jumping around and we're not coming up with a, and I go, go to the very first time that this happened. And that was in this life. It wasn't back <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it, you can end up on a wild goose chase. Right. But the, the thing is, the feelings, the subconscious knows where it is. Mm. And if we follow the feelings, we're going to end up where we need to go. Okay. And so the one of the final questions I have for you, and you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but there are some people who claim that they cannot be hypnotized. Is there anyone who can't be hypnotized? There's really no such thing. There are some people who have a lesion in a particular cortex of the brain where they will not stay hypnotized very long. Mm. But that's very rare and unusual. If you can fall asleep, you can be hypnotized. Mm. If you've gotten bored listening to a lecture, you can be hypnotized. If somebody's doesn't want to be formally hypnotized they can resist it you know i you know i have tricks and things i could get you hypnotized but you know if you're gonna fight me i'm not gonna mess with it you know it's right. i got better things to do with my time <laughs> yeah yeah well that just makes me think the next time i'm in the classroom if i start you know i can start droning on and get all my students in a hypnotic state i can just put in the <laughs> suggestion do the reading, read the syllabus, do the reading, read the syllabus, see if that works. So what do you have coming up next? What are you, are, are you working on anything and any other books? Yes, I, I, well, I've got another book that I've finished. I don't know when or if it'll get released. I am working on one that's just a, getting real close to completion. That's about performance okay. and it's, mostly going to be around athletic performance mm. uh but you know if you wanted to perform in any way in your life it would be a very helpful read right. and like that so that's going to probably be the next thing that pops out i've been writing this i've written a, several other books that are not about hypnosis and mm. none of them are currently in publication but they could be if i decided to let them go mm. but i'm writing one right now that probably would get me killed. So. <laughs> well, don't do that then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about all those true things, you know, that people yeah. don't want to hear about. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a place where people can go online to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, they can. Well, they could Google my name, Drake Eastburn, yeah. or they can go to Eastburn uh, Hypnotherapy Center and there's all kinds of stuff there. Okay. Or hypnodenver.com. That's what I should say. Hypnodenver.com. All right. The amazing city of Denver. All right. Well, Drake, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned quite a bit and it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, I've had a lot of fun too. It was nice talking with you. Yeah, you too. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you.
And that's a wrap on episode 82 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you like what I do here on Rebel Spirit Radio and would like to support my work and please support my work, please consider becoming a patron. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. And of course, if you'd prefer to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I will be tremendously grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family, coworkers, anyone that you think will enjoy it. And please share it on social media too. That really is one of the best ways you can help and support the podcast. So again, if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and I sure hope that you do, then please, by all means, help me share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. And please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to, or watching, Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.